You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Vadim, and with me as always, Ben. Ben, how's it going, man? It's going good, Vadim. How about you, man? It's going pretty good, Ben. It's going pretty good. I've uh, I've reached this the state of gear equilibrium, I think, which is <laughs> this, this. I saw you posting on your Instagram about this yeah. earlier today. It's it's this elusive state. It comes every now and again, every every once in a couple of blue moons, and it doesn't last <laughs> long. But it's I have this feeling of contentment that I have all of the gear I need to make music from now until eternity, which is of course <laughs> impossible. But yeah, I bought this um uh for the last like two years I've been using this one compressor plugin on the main bus of all of my like rock mixes. And I finally thought, you know what, it would be cool to get the hardware version of it. So I bought a clone of um it's an SSL uh four thousand G series compressor and it just came yesterday and I've been I've been starting to do some shootouts with it against the plugin, hopefully, you know, blind testing it and hopefully it uh, <laughs> it holds up. So it's, yeah. it's still too early to to make the call. But um, anyway, it's a fun toy and I feel uh, I feel content for a little while anyway. What's new with you? Well, before we get before we get to me. Uh, I have a, more, a couple more questions for you. <laughs> uh, don't make me justify my uh, my impulse buys here. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I guess first, would you consider yourself a gearhead when it when it comes to like, do you get that itch for buying new gear? You know, it's weird. I I don't. I, I do get it every now and then where I'll just I'll realize I have either a need for something or just I really want something and then it, it does happen to me every now and then I don't consider myself a gearhead in okay. general um I don't like collect gear uh, but I like to try out different things like I don't own a ton of gear but I've I've owned a lot of gear and and you know sold stuff and bought stuff uh over the years so you know it's something I'm passionate about making music so I like trying out new stuff and okay I just I just wanted to check that I didn't have to do a intervention or anything yeah well you're you're nowhere near the level of our other friend who you know who I'm talking about as far as gear gear headiness no for sure Um, sure (laughs) and and that's that's all fine and good uh I think I would consider myself more like um not a gearhead but I'm definitely addicted to good sounding stuff so every now and again like i'll buy a good piece of gear if i think it definitely makes my sound better but i'm not in love with hardware in any means yeah and i think that's i think that's smart i i, I was talking to a guy who who gave me a good piece of advice so i asked him when he buys gear or when he upgrades things and he basically said it either has to improve the sound quality of what i'm doing or it has to make my workflow faster and if it if it can't do one of those two things, then he doesn't get it. Thought that was a nice, uh, nice set of questions to ask yourself before buying something. Hmm. I, d- I I really like that too because I thought one of the questions you were going to say is it has to make me more money, but I love that he didn't say that because <laughs> it proves that no piece of gear will actually make you more money. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. That's a good point. So yeah, 
Well, I'm excited for you, man. I can't wait to hear the results. I on will. The I will post some stuff. I'm gonna. I'm gonna post some mixes, run through the plugin, and then run through the the hardware, and uh, we'll let people. We're gonna post it. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I was thinking about just doing it on Instagram through like IGTV or whatever, but we'll see. That's a good idea. You do you want to plug that right now so people can follow you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you yeah. can hit me up on Instagram at Calm Frog Recording, which is the name of my studio, and um, my website is CalmFrogRecording.com. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for uh, throwing me the alley oop there. I like that. Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. And I and I do I do like um, watching some of the stuff you post on your channel because you have cool little like uh, do it yourself like hacks. Yeah, so thanks, I I definitely appreciate that. That's cool. Thank you. I need to start doing stuff like that as well. All right. Well, enough about me, man. What's uh, what's going on with you? I heard you have some news <sighs> as well. Yeah, I got some. I got some news. Some really cool, interesting stuff. Um, hilariously enough, it doesn't really have to do. It has to do with music, but it doesn't have to do with studio stuff as much. Even though that's what we're plugging here, and and that's what our passion is. But I just recently started playing with. A new band. Um, ba- I'm, I'm the bass player in the band, and uh, their name is Nefel, N E P H E L E. And uh, we just released an EP and a single that went along with that that has a guitar playthrough on YouTube. It's doing really well. We're getting a lot of really great feedback, and um, we just got selected to be the opener on the latest Contortionist Haken tour uh whenever they come through pittsburgh not the whole tour just the pittsburgh show still but we're super pumped about that because we're all huge contortionist fans and haken fans probably people know the contortionist more than haken and they were new to me but i checked out their stuff and man what a sick instrumental band well they're not only instrumental but instrumentally they're just amazing yeah that's and i would i would highly encourage people to go check out the new nafel ep it's, it's apples and oranges yeah that's the name of the single that's the, okay that's the name of the single is the whole ep out now i guess i well it depends on when this episode drops gotcha okay but anyway apples and oranges is up i would highly recommend you guys go check that out and actually i would recommend you got to listen on headphones because of Ben's rock and bass lines. I mean, it sounds impressive either way, but uh, definitely. Uh, I will say, I will say they stand out more in some of the other tunes. That one is just so balls to the wall in the heavy parts. Yeah, the bass mixed. It's mixed in really nicely, but it's way more prominent on the other songs. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff, man. So I'm I'm really pumped about that. And I was telling Vadim earlier today just about how I'm sometimes torn about doing more bands and playing more gigs. I mean, I love it, but I almost feel guilty in some ways because I feel like I should be more focused on the studio and and doing work in here, but you keep getting pulled back in just when you think you're out. Yeah, I keep getting pulled back in and honestly, it's just such a great way to meet people and stay connected to like the lifeblood of the industry, sure, which is playing live shows, so I can't say no to it and and it's a blast. Very so. exciting, man, for sure. What when's the show, by the way? St. Patrick's Day, so it should be oh my God. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and the show is at um, the Rex Theater on East Carson Street, which is the busiest party central street in Pittsburgh. And our only, I think our only saving grace is that the show is on a Tuesday, because if it was a Saturday, it would be 
redonkulous to put it lightly. So <laughs> you gonna dye you gonna dye your beard green? <laughs> I might have to. <laughs> I'll wear something green. Yeah, I might sure. wear this green flannel. We'll see. Yeah, but I'm excited. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm super excited for you guys. I'm super excited to hear the uh, the EP for sure when it drops. Yeah, thanks, dude. So what are we talking about today? What's our episode? We are deep diving splash effect into <laughs> vocal recording. <laughs> yes, yes. Vocal recording, which, of course, most music that's, well, at least all top 40 music, right? Vocals are the key part. Vocals are what sell the song. So we figured we'd get into this topic pretty early on. And yeah, go ahead, Ben. Start us off. Yeah. So um, I felt like a good way to start this episode off was with a listener question that we had, actually. Mm. And maybe the question deals with something a little bit more particular, but it's a good jumping off point, And maybe we could banter back on it a little bit. Um, this question comes from my buddy, Jariah. Uh, Hey, Jariah, how's it going, buddy? Um, haven't seen him in a while, but I still keep in touch. Uh, he he played in a band September Morning. He was the bass player in that band that uh, opened up for my first tour ever with Lacey Sturm, which was, uh, which was a blast, and we became friends on that tour. Uh, I believe he lives in Denver, Colorado. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so thanks for listening, Jariah. I appreciate it, buddy. Uh, but his question was, do you have any tips on recording vocals? Do you run your mic through a preamp or anything? I just feel like most of my stuff sounds pretty good, but then it comes uh, to vocals. I just don't think they sound very good and full. Uh, I have a cheaper mic, though, is what he said. So I love this question for a couple reasons. Uh, one mostly being that he's a do-it-yourself musician. He's... Um, I think he's still in the middle of recording his own solo music and EP, and he's a really good guitar player and vocalist. So he's kind of putting together his sound in order to ship it out to labels. Nice. But he's doing it really all in his home studio. Um, the second reason I love it is because he's using a cheap mic, which is definitely... <laughs> it's in the DIY spirit. Yeah, in the DIY spirit. And I definitely think that you can get a great microphone or a vocal sound out of a cheap microphone so i want to address this question and give some at least some of our advice on what to do why what does the cheap sound actually mean like we can tell that it sounds cheap but what does that actually i mean? read his question earlier today wasn't there something about compression on there or did i misread that completely that was from Josh. Oh, that, that was, was Josh's question. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, we'll get to Josh's question. <laughs> okay. So uh, we'll eventually get to addressing all of uh, Jariah's questions, but I wanted to first give an overview of a vocal recording chain or what I would consider. Now, we talked about signal path back in episode two yep. or all the components that you needed um, in, your, in your home recording or your do-it-yourself recording rig. So this is going to be a really similar to all those things, but I just wanted to focus in on what that might be like if you have uh, just a vocal that you need to record. So up first, we have your sound source, which is your voice, the thing that's making sound in this situation. Uh, the second thing to think about, even though it's not part of the chain, would be uh, the sound absorption or acoustic treatment, how live or dead is the sound of the room that you're recording in. Yeah, and actually, you, you know, that's a good point. I think it is kind of part of the chain because as, as you think about 
how your voice gets to the microphone. It has to go through the room, right? So the room, it kind of is part of the chain. <laughs> we could maybe make that uh, 1.5. Yeah. Part like 1.5 in the chain. Okay. Um, then secondly would be the microphone that you select to record with. And there's a lot of different styles and types of microphones you could pick. Uh, then there's a there's a couple options. There's a couple optional components here, and a couple things that you're going to have in every situation. Uh, now, if you're just a really lean do-it-yourself setup, you might be plugging your microphone through your XLR cable directly into your interface, uh, which is the component that connects your electronic microphone signal to your computer. Now. Uh, your interface most likely has a preamp built into it already, and that's the thing that's going to be adding gain and volume level to your microphone, uh, your microphone signal. But you could also have a standalone preamp beforehand that could add volume or um, coloration to your tone. Uh, the other optional components could be a hardware compressor or equalizer. Um, and I know that probably Vadim, you and I will go back and forth about this because my setup is entirely in the box right now. So I do use those components, but they're all software components. They're not hardware components. Hmm. Um, and I guess that was the last piece that I wanted to throw in there was uh, the software component after you record the raw vocal takes that you can use to affect after right. the fact. So that's, that's kind of the overall uh, vocal chain as I would as I would say it. So one place to plant a flag there, I think, is that any processing we do before, while, while our signal is still analog, so before we convert it to digital, happens after the preamp stage. So the microphone will always plug directly into a preamp. And this is important because it can be confusing. You could think, like, where in the chain, if I'm point. using a compressor, do I put my compressor? Anytime we talk about that type of gear, compressors, EQs, they all work on a line level signal. And in order to get us to a line level signal, our signal first has to pass through the preamp. Um, and then what Ben was saying is there's, so if you're doing digital processing, then something like an interface will have a preamp and your AD converter. If, uh, you, we talked a lot about this in episode two. Um, and then you can, once you're inside the computer as a digital signal, you can use digital signal processing to also apply compression, EQ, and so on, right? So that's kind of our chain overview. Yeah. So yeah, let's, do you want to start with, uh, start at the beginning, start with the vocalist? Yeah, let's, let's dive in here. So as you remember in um, one of the previous episodes, I think it might be episode two or three, we talked about uh, things earlier in the chain of whatever you're recording are m probably the most important things to get right more than the things later on. Right. So, for example, if you're recording a guitar, it's of utmost importance that the guitar performance is A+, or as good as it possibly can be, because if it's a subpar performance, it doesn't matter how good the stuff is after it, you're never going to get a subpar performance to sound good. Yep. Whereas, if you have a really good performance, you can use maybe subpar gear to make it sound pretty good. It's not going to sound as good as if you have top-of-the-line gear, but you could fool a lot of people for sure. So with that being said, I think that it's really important to just double up on the fact that nothing can make up for a bad vocal performance. 
If you've never gone into the studio before or you're thinking about recording your band or your own music for the first time, I think it's important to just be honest with yourself. Like take a take a good, honest self-assessment of your abilities. And maybe if you're not the best vocalist, I wouldn't say use that to discourage yourself from recording. I think that there's a lot of people out there that are even at a professional level doing recording and performing that aren't the best vocalists. Um, it didn't keep them from doing that. There's still something that they have to offer, whether it's their lyrical content or their vibe or their energy on stage. Uh, but I, I think that whenever you go into a recording situation, just to realize that what you're going to capture in the recording is going to be like very transparent and very honest back with you. And so not to expect that it's going to magically just become great just because you're recording. One thing I know you and I, are we talked about this a lot and we're both big fans of, let's say for instruments, we're both big fans of making sure your instruments are set up, right? You had a session last weekend. You talked a lot about going out and getting new heads uh, for the mm -hmm. drums because that's an important part of getting a good drum sound. It's really important as a vocalist to treat your voice as an instrument, right? You have to be prepared to give a good performance. And just like for a bass guitar, we would put on new strings. Uh, there's some things you can do to help yourself have a good vocal performance. Things like avoiding caffeine before a session, right? Avoiding drinking coffee. Um, and that goes in line with staying well hydrated, which, you know, especially you, you'd be surprised. A lot of people, I think, go into the studio and think they're going to record a song in, in two hours or whatever, right? And it can take a long time. You have to do a lot of takes sometimes. So being well yeah. hydrated with, uh, you know, drinking room temperature water will just, it'll make your vocal cords healthier and more able to go through a long session like that. And I'll just l rattle off some other things I have um, listed here. Avoid drinking alcohol for as long prior to the session as possible. Um, so my note says, my note here says recording is not the time to live the rock and roll lifestyle, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, you just uh, avoid smoking, avoid dairy products. I will, I will throw in there too that like, because inevitably you do see this on like VH1 or even like modern documentaries or vlogs of bands. And there are like bands that still live the party lifestyle, but there are just, it's unfair in some ways, but there are some vocalists out there. Um, the one I could think of is the Shadows Fall vocalist because I, he was on those Melissa Cross DVDs, like the Zen of Screaming or whatever mm. they were. And I remember him specifically saying that like, he's just one of those guys that his voice can just take a beating. Like he drinks a lot and it just doesn't affect him that much. But there's other guys that if they take, I mean, if they drink a little bit of alcohol or caffeine or dairy, they're just toast. They can't record anything at all. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering how that'll affect his longevity. Cause I know. That's a good like, point too. Uh, Soundgarden is probably my, my favorite band growing up and, and he's still to this day. I, I love them a lot. And I know. Chris Cornell, you look at videos of him in the early 90s and he's just, you know, on he's on stage, no shirt on and he's bent over and he's screaming and he's drinking and all this stuff. Right. And at some point that really came back to haunt him and he had he developed yeah. vocal nodules and he came back from that. But it was through a really concerted effort of retraining himself and 
avoiding uh, things like alcohol. And so, you know, again, you kind of have to think almost like if you're a singer, you're like it's like being a professional athlete in a sense. You can first That's of all, you point. can strengthen your voice and you can build up endurance, but you have to take care of it. You know, you don't want to you don't want to smash your guitar, right? Your nice right. guitar. So, um, yeah. So those types of things. Just the last one I have here is. Um, Actually, last two. One is keep the room at a reasonable temperature. So it's hard to sing in a very cold environment and in a very hot environment. You just get sweaty and it's you get kind of exhausted. And the last one, I, I ran into this personally, is try to, if you're the vocalist, try to memorize the lyrics. Or if you're recording mm. somebody, try to get them to memorize it. Because what I found, two things that, that bug me, and this happens all the time. One <laughs> is I had this, I was re- recording this... Um, this hip hop artist, and he had all his lyrics. He had these notebooks, right, with lyrics. Yeah. And we got this one awesome take. And to the you go if you listen on the record, you can hear the paper the paper crinkling <sighs> in the mic. And I was like, we had to keep it because the take was so good. But yeah. it, you know that that's a problem. And the other problem that almost I run into even more often because now people have lyrics on their phones and stuff is that. When they're looking, when people are looking at the lyrics, they're turning away from the mic or their mic positioning is no longer optimal for what, for what you set up. So yeah, being confident with knowing the lyrics, I think, helps uh, also just get a better performance, not only for those reasons, also just because you're more confident going in as a singer. I think you could say the same thing. If you, so if you think of like uh, an actor, like imagine going to see a movie where the actors don't have their lines memorized and they're reading off of teleprompters. <laughs> how do you how do you think that that would look? Like it obvious obviously it wouldn't be the same performance because they couldn't focus on reading and delivering the line with the same emotion. Right. So the same is true in the studio. I couldn't agree with you more. I have a couple things to add to what you already added. Um I know I know a big thing and I do record my own vocals every now and again. One thing that I know helps immensely is just staying in shape and working out. Mm. Because because your voice is part of your physiological makeup, like even even if it has nothing to do with your voice, just keeping your body healthy and going to the gym actually probably because it helps your diaphragm. It it just helps you sing stronger and better for longer. Um, and the last thing is, I keep <laughs> I always keep throat throat coat uh, tea on hand. Oh, I all love the time. throat coat tea. I don't sing for for anything, but. Go ahead. That's awesome. <laughs> no, it it works so good. Like anytime I have to do vocals, especially like heavier, more gritty stuff, mm-hmm. I I always just keep sipping on it because it's a really great herbal tea and it'll keep your vocal cords nice and lubricated so you can sing for longer. Right on. So awesome. Dang, I can't believe for how long we talked already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need, we need to keep going. It doesn't bode well. Let's keep going. So I think the the, the room is next, yeah? Yeah, the room is next. So... Um, this is just a, I think this is just a quick mention though. Um, just to take note of the room that you're recording your vocals in, I would say, especially if you're using a, a condenser microphone, because they tend to be a lot more sensitive at picking up room reflect, reflections. So if you're in a tiny empty room, uh, you're almost guaranteed to pick up a lot of nasty reverby sounds in your vocal. So what do you do about this? I think the two simplest things are, I'm mostly thinking, uh, in this context, I'm mostly thinking of a 
of a solo artist that's maybe doing only a vocal track by themselves. So in that situation, I would say, is there another room of the house that has more furniture in it or maybe bookshelves or, or anything that can break up the sound reflections? That's going to help a lot. Um, another thing you can do, and this is probably the cheapest thing ever, but you could literally throw a blanket over top of yourself and the microphone you're singing into. I mean, it's not super ideal, but it does help. So have you, have you tried any of those techniques before? Yeah, I've, I've tried all of them for sure. Um, (laughs) I definitely agree (laughs) with you. So, so that sound that we can all kind of hear it. If you walk into a room, especially if you've ever been like apartment hunting or anything, and you walk into an empty room, you can hear that tinny kind of metal-y echo. Or if you like snap your fingers or clap your hands, um, a lot of times you can you can hear that as well. That cannot be fixed in post. It's it's almost impossible to remove that after the fact. So when we talk about recording vocals, we want to err on the side of a drier sound. And there's a couple of mm-hmm. ways to do that. And you mentioned some of them, Ben. Um, I'll mention a couple of others. I like, first of all, what you said a lot about find another room um, with more furniture in it. Something like a bookshelf is actually amazingly easy to set up as a DIY diffuse, uh, diff- uh, yeah, diffuser. Yeah, um, diffuser. Mm-hmm. What you do is, you know, you can just take the books and kind of pull them out at random intervals, and it does an amazing job of scattering sound and kind of minimizing those reflections. Uh, another thing to do is keep away from the walls. You don't want to set yourself up too close to any wall. But you also don't want to be in the dead center of the room, right? Because when you're in the dead center, that's when you can get certain frequencies building up and certain frequencies disappearing. So you want to be away from the walls, but not in the dead center of the room. Uh, Another thing you want to do is, I liked your blanket idea a lot. What I've done also with blankets is, uh, if you take a mic stand and set it up like a T, throw a blanket over top of it and you get a a quick kind of something that'll dampen uh, reflections. Oh, that's a good idea. I think the most important thing is to treat your first reflection points. What I mean by first reflection is if you if you picture yourself standing in front of the microphone and you have somebody take a mirror, a little mirror, and run it across the wall, the point where you as the vocalist can see the microphone in the mirror, that's the first reflection point. What that means is sound leaving your, your mouth will hit that point and then hit the microphone. And so from the microphone's perspective, it's hearing your voice first and then a split second later, you know, milliseconds later, it's hearing the reflected sound and that can create some nasty uh, like home filtering effects. So Mm -hmm. you can use that mirror trick to, again, put up blankets, put up couch cushions, put up coats, uh, mattresses, whatever you've got. And remember that first reflection points, you also have them on the floor and the ceiling. So very commonly in studios, you'll see a rug and it's because it one of the reasons why is because it helps dampen those floor reflections. Yeah. Uh, another maybe slightly more professional thing you could do is buy uh, some acoustic panels that are specifically made for vocals. I know that they, I've seen a couple different styles. Um, some are sp- uh, spherical. Others are just a V type of thing that you could set up on a mic stand. And you mm. put it behind your microphone and it's meant to... It's meant to treat reflections coming off the wall in front of you if you're facing the microphone recording or the sides. And they actually work really well. I have really? a, mm-hmm, I use a, the one that I have is a full, um, 
floor to about six feet tall uh, version of those. So it kind of folds in a V shape and you put it right behind the microphone and it it makes the world of a difference. They can tend to be kind of pricey. Like mine was about, I think it was close to 350 which seems a little bit pricey, but like like you said earlier, once you get those reflections in a recorder, you can't get rid of them. So it's kind of... I want to ask you a little bit more about that because I was always skeptical of those things because a lot for vocals, we always recommend or I always recommend people use a cardioid polar pattern microphone, which means that the microphone, if you think of it like a flashlight, it's illuminating or it's sensitive to what's in front of it, but it's kind of insensitive to what's behind it. And so it never really made a lot of sense to me putting something behind the microphone where it was unlikely to pick up uh, reflections anyway, but except for the reason that it's um, it stops reflections from getting out into the room, right? You're singing kind of into it. Yeah. And maybe that's the, the benefit. But talk a little bit more about that. I think that I think that's exactly the benefit because you are right. It does help to to did you say a super cardioid? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, either super or cardioid, cardioid pattern. Well, actually, yeah, there's there's uh just cardioid is fine. It's basically the heart shaped yeah. uh, polar pattern. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's rejecting sound directly behind the microphone. Right. And that definitely that definitely plays a big a big part in it. So if you choose a cardioid pattern, it will reject sound information behind it but even though it's doing that you're still getting reflections around the room that will travel Mm. back into the front of that microphone right so you're stopping you're kind of nipping it in the bud basically you're you're stopping it from you before it even gets out into the room That, that makes sense yeah and you don't have to worry about it behind your head as much because your face and body is kind of blocking the the sound that's going that would be coming from behind you oh, directly into the microphone. It does work so, though. Like I was, I was really skeptical too, but people swore by them and I, I tried one out and I was like, wow, this makes a huge difference. That's so, good to know. I'll have to play around with that. I, so I usually like, I have um, acoustic panels all over the place. And if you have, you know, whether you have bookshelves or you have acoustic panels, you kind of have to pick your orientation in the room as well. And I, I always recommend that people take advantage of that cardioid polar pattern. So Use the back of the mic where it's rejecting sound anyway. Point that back of the mic to a part that's especially, you know, uncovered. If you have like bare wall sections, you can mm-hmm. kind of point the back of the mic towards that bare wall and maybe minimize the negative effects of it. That's all good ideas. I love it. Yeah. Maybe I should try. What would be a fun idea for a shootout is try singing into a condenser that I have with and without one of those uh, vocal awesome. gobos. Yeah, please do yeah. that. That'd be great, man. So, yeah, I'll share that with you guys. That'll be great. Okay, so next. Um, the sexy part, microphones. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. I think the two, there are other um, types of microphones than this, but the two main types that you're going to run into are compressors, condenser, I wrote compressor, condenser <laughs> and dynamic microphones. So I'm not up to, I'm not versed in especially the difference of how that they work, but essentially they have various differences on how they capture sound. But the important thing for you guys to know is dynamic microphones, they tend to be a lot more directional and focused at picking up sounds. They need a lot more gain and condenser microphones tend to be a lot 
brighter. I think they'll pick up more high, more high end, and they're also more sensitive. What do you have to add to that, Vanim? Yeah, I think that's that's a good uh, that's a good starting point for sure. Uh, so dynamic microphones are basically they're kind of like speakers in reverse. So when you have a speaker, you have a coil that's driving the speaker cone. In this case, you have a cone that's vibrating and driving the coil and then creating an electrical signal coming out of that. Condenser microphones actually have, um, they require like uh, phantom power, right? Which is, it's uh, a, it works on the principle of uh, capacitance change that the diaphragm is sensing. But anyway, that, that may be, I might, I might just cut all that out actually because it's in the weeds. But yeah, to your point, um, dynamic microphones are great for, for loud sound sources. They can usually handle very high SPL or sound pressure levels. Um, and that's why they're commonly used on like, you know, on snare drums, for example, right? Snare drums, mm-hmm. kick drums. Uh, condenser microphones, as you said, are really sensitive to um, high frequencies. So they're nice on like stringed instruments and vocals in certain cases. A, a nice way to kind of gauge a microphone's high frequency response, I, kind of, I read this somewhere and I really liked it, is to stand in front of it while it's plugged in and jingle a set of keys and then listen mm. back to it, right? And it's kind of a high frequency sound and you'll be, you might be able to hear a difference on that kind of sparkly top end and a condenser microphone uh, will definitely have more of it. They're also super sensitive. Um, I think mm-hmm. I mentioned this before. Super sensitive. Yeah, I think I mentioned this before. I used to live in an apartment and, and everything I recorded there and the very quiet parts had birds singing from the outside because there was a nest yeah. of birds outside. <laughs> you did say that in a previous episode, yeah. which is really cool. I mean, if I had birds in my albums, that wouldn't be the worst thing. Yeah. Birds are okay. Traffic is uh, is worse. <laughs> yeah. So why would you choose one over the other? I think there's there's a couple different reasons. I think one, if you're just getting started out, it's easier to record yourself on a dynamic microphone than it is a condenser microphone. And that's for a couple different reasons. I think one is for uh, the fact that they're not as sensitive to picking up room reverberations as a condenser is. So if, if you're in a really unideal situation, let's say you're a rock band and all you have is a, uh, is a completely empty basement that's really reflective, then maybe you want to record all your vocals through an SM58. It's the most common dynamic microphone you'll ever find. Or maybe even an uh, SM57. You can use that for vocals as well. So that would be one reason. Uh, The other reason is I just tend to find that when you have a vocal that maybe is really sibilant and has a lot of sounds, it's sometimes difficult to get a, a good performance that's pleasing to the ears out of a condenser microphone but I feel like I can always get what I need out of a dynamic. Do you mm, agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, I like a lot of what you said there. Um, and I'll, I really don't have that much to add on that. I'll, I'll put in an, an, an additional point for dynamics is that for a given price point, you can get a higher quality dynamic microphone probably than a condenser microphone. So for example, the, yeah, the mic, absolutely. we're both speaking into Shure SM7B microphones. What does it go for? Like 400 bucks or something? They're 400 brand new, but you can find them used. And I would definitely buy this microphone used because they hold up really well. You can get, you can, if you're lucky, you'll get it for 250, but probably 300. Yeah. So, but even, even at that new price point at 400, 
the the quality of condenser microphone you can get for four hundred dollars is starting to get good, but like just to give you an idea, this this the Shure SM7B is considered, you know, Michael Jackson used it, so it's considered to be a top-notch dynamic microphone. To get a top-notch condenser microphone, you can get easily up into the two thousand dollar range, right? If you're into like a professional yeah. studio, so the price point tends to be a little bit nicer on dynamic mics as well, I think. So I think the only question that leaves is, so why would I even buy a, con- a condenser microphone? And I think the reason is um, when you have like a really pretty presency high end in a vocal, that's the situation where a condenser microphone really shines. And if you can match up perfectly the right condenser microphone with the right singer that just has that beautiful airy quality to their voice, there's nothing like a like an awesome condenser microphone in that situation. Agreed. So that's why that's why somebody would go with a condenser over a dynamic. I just think especially for beginners or people that are maybe in a um, a not ideal situation, a dynamic's easier to use than a condenser. For vocals, I definitely agree with you. The the other reason to I think people have large diaphragm condensers is because that's the microphone, that's kind of a desert island microphone in the sense that you can use it on literally any source. Like you can use it on acoustic guitar and get a great sound. You can use it on a ukulele. You can use it on just about Did you anything. mean that? Di- did you mean dynamic or condenser? No, condenser. Like a large diaphragm condenser. Okay. I'm saying yeah. for like, you know, in, like I said, stringed instruments or acoustic instruments, uh, you can get you can get good results. But like you said, I think the the key thing there is that they're very sensitive to the space. So if you're in a less than ideal space, definitely dynamic would uh, probably suit you better. Yeah, well said. So you had a couple examples on this, you said? Yeah, I had my, uh, my wife is, uh, is a singer and she's been listening to this, uh, <laughs> she's been listening to this musical called Hades Town. So I just set up a Shure SM7B, which is a dynamic microphone. And then I set up a um, warm audio 87 wa87 which is kind of a clone of a classic condenser microphone i set them up right next to each other and i had her just sing something so she sang something from the song so i'm going to play first a, a little bit just a couple seconds of the dynamic microphone sorry I'll, I'll start with the condenser and then i'll switch to the dynamic and we can um all right so here's the wa87 condenser microphone Strange is the call of this strange man. I want to fly down and feed at his hand. I want a nice soft place to land. All right, and here's that same exact against the same take with the dynamic, and then I'll kind of play them back and forth so you can, you can hear the difference. Strange is the call of this strange man. I want to fly down and feed at his hand. I want a nice soft place to land. All right, so I'm going to start playing them and I'll switch. I'll start with the condenser and then I'll switch a couple of times back and forth. Strange is the call of this strange man. I want to fly down and feed at his hand. I want a nice soft place to land. All right, so 
I think listening to that, you'll be able to to tell that the the condenser microphone you get a lot more top end and also that it's not necessarily a good thing. So the way the where I set up this mic, there's actually a couple of problematic frequencies that that maybe jump out a little bit. And I also happen to know that my wife, like you were saying, Ben, she's a really sibilant singer. She has a lot of top end, a lot of S's, a lot of T's. And I actually strongly prefer to use a dynamic microphone when I'm recording her voice. Um, that said, uh, I've on a, on, a, on a darker voice, on a gruffier voice, a condenser microphone would be, maybe sound really nice. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out was after I, I recorded this, I went back and I tried to see if I could apply EQ, equalization, to the dynamic microphone track and see how closely I could get it to sound like the condenser mic. And again, these two tracks really had, the two I just played had absolutely no processing on them, no compression, no EQ, no anything. It's exactly as it was in the room. So let me play that for you with the EQ. I'll switch back and forth, starting with the condenser. And I think I was able to get actually pretty close. And I'll talk about the hmm. implication of that. So let me play this here. Strange is the call of this strange man. I want to fly down and feed at his hand. I want a nice, soft place to land. So, yeah, you guys can, can be the judges of how close I actually got. But um, what I might do is, Ben, actually, I, I was thinking I might post the screenshot of the EQ curve. That would be really interesting to see. I would be curious. The point, the reason I wanted to do that was to say that, you know, a lot of times, actually, I, I want, you know, you mentioned this, Ben, when we were speaking earlier, that a lot of times you're in a session, you've got people waiting around. It's important to know your tools and kind of throw up a mic and get a, as good a sound as you can get. That said, I wouldn't necessarily go out and spend money on a mic just to get a certain, you know, EQ curve because, so yeah, yeah so the dynamic sounds a little bit darker. So you can adjust that, some of that to some extent in the mix. So anyway, that's that's kind of I don't know if you have any anything to say about that or or choosing mics during a session. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into something I wanted to maybe save for a little bit later, but I have to mention it here because <laughs> it it was really eye-opening. So I recently also got a new toy. I pulled the trigger and this past Christmas I bought myself uh the Slate VMS, which is the vir virtual microphone system. And it's the first ever i feel i feel like i'm simultaneously i just heard our listeners uh gasp in disbelief and also rejoice in in utter amazement because i feel like this microphone is really polarizing because i've seen some people praise it and other people just hate on it <laughs> hate the heck out of it so bad um but it's the world's first uh analog and digital microphone and what that means essentially is it's pretty much a completely transparent as close to uh, zero EQ curve you can get on a microphone condenser mic so it's it's really clear glassy sounding but uh, they give you a software key along with the purchase of it and what the software does is after you record it you apply the software and it emulates uh, you could pick one of eight different um, classic microphones. They've got everything from 
uh, I think they have a U87, a U67, and a U47. Those are all universal audio emulations. Uh, they have an SM7B like we're speaking into, but a more presency version of it. Uh, and uh, a Sony 800 something or other, but they have a few different microphones. And the interesting thing to me about it is they sound drastically different whenever I was shooting them out. I'll have to do some examples. The emulations make the microphones sound drastically different. Uh, each one of those emulations sound drastically different than one another, but I'm recording into the same microphone. So kind of like you were mm. saying in your example of you're making the condenser sound really similar to the dynamic. It just kind of shows me that uh, a lot of the, maybe what we attributed to the microphone itself. Now it wasn't that it was, it wasn't that it wasn't the microphone. Like the microphone does have a characteristic uh, sound that it's playing in, but I think also what it is, it's not just the microphone, it's the transformers in it. It's the way that it, manipulates audio and you could get a lot of those same effects uh or the a lot of that same sound by just applying eq and compression and maybe some more vibey stuff after the fact yeah agreed so so yeah with um i guess to summarize that in some other words too is especially in the situation where you're just trying to record a vocal take and maybe send it out for mixing to somewhere else just use what you have and get the best take possible don't feel the need to go out there and uh, take out a take out a personal loan to buy a fifteen hundred dollar microphone. Yes, exactly. Use what you have. If it's like the 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 the, the Cliff's Notes version, use what you have and err on the side of drier. So if you're not sure how your room sounds, put up more you know jackets, blankets. You you really can't get dry enough because you can add the reverb and spatial effects in the mix and get a better result than trying to get it in a small room. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, and I think this is also a good segue to kind of tackle one of the things that Jariah said in his question where he didn't feel like the microphone he was using, which he said himself was a cheap condenser. He didn't sound that he didn't feel like it was full enough of a sound. And I think a lot of that kind of comes from uh, the, the next part that we're going to talk about here, which is the... Uh, the EQing and the preamps and the compression that you can kind of add because in adding um, in adding those effects and adding the EQ and adding the preamps, what you're essentially adding is you're adding vibe along with the tonal characteristic of those um, EQs and compressors. You're adding the emulations, especially if you're using something, let's say from waves like right now i'm recording into in my vocal chain i have digitally on the back end uh a software version of the uh 1776 no what is the what is the name of that compressor thank you not 17 the 1176 compressor blackie version so the transformer in that is affecting my voice and making it darker than it would appear if I was just recording directly into an interface. So I think a lot of the a lot of the times, cheap microphones in particular that you can get that are condenser microphones, they tend to be really transparent sounding. And I think for two reasons. For one, because it's probably easier to get a 
it's probably cheaper and easier to get a transparent sound on a microphone than a really warm and vibey sound. And the second reason too is a lot of these manufacturers are trying to give you tools that are the most transparent that you can have as a recording artist so that if you wanted to add anything that's vibey or to add color or warmth, you can on the back end and it's not already being affected while you're recording. Mm. I know that was a lot of words in there, but uh, anything to add to that, Vadim, or do you, do you feel like I maybe went down the rabbit trail a little too much? No, no, I think that, I think that was all good stuff. Uh, let's get into setting up the microphone uh, in terms of some, some starting points, some rules of thumb. Ben, how do you, let's say you're recording a vocal, how do you go about setting up the mic? Good question. Uh, depends on, well, it definitely depends on the type of microphone. Uh, if I'm using a dynamic, I want the singer to be like right up on the microphone, probably between anywhere from two to six inches away, I would say. Like right, especially like on like an SM7B. Um, they pick up way, they pick up the low end a lot better the closer you are, especially with a dynamic microphone. Yeah, we should we should mention that briefly. There's um, there's something called a proximity effect, which is actually a function of a cardioid polar pattern. So the proximity effect is this effect that you hear comedians use a lot on stage, which is where when you bring your mouth really close to the microphone, you get this enhanced bass effect. And I forget mm. what the numbers are, but it, it can be pretty drastic as you start getting closer and closer. And this is something that you should use to your advantage. Uh, I think what you said is a perfectly nice starting point, you know, two to four inches away. If it sounds too boomy, you can move the mic back a little bit. If it sounds too thin and there's not enough low end, you can move the mic closer. So you can take advantage of that anytime you have a mic with a cardioid polar pattern. Yeah, and I would say just trial and error as far as it goes to the more you record, the more you will... Uh, realize how much low end you want in your voice. Now, when it comes to a condenser, you can be, I would be a, a little bit to a lot farther away from a condenser, depending on, like you said, the proximity effect that you want from that vocal. Uh, I normally will set somebody up, uh, if it's not me recording or myself, I'll start it six inches away and I might move them back to as far as a foot or I might get a little bit closer, but because condensers are so sensitive, I'm also I'm also pretty aware of how strong the S sounds and the T sounds are. Yeah, that's a great point. The farther, uh, definitely, I've had the same experience where I find it sounds, a condenser mic sounds a little bit better with the vocalist a little bit farther away. Uh, but the farther away you are, the more you're likely to introduce room reflections. And um, that can be problematic. As far as the, um, the S's and T's, that's a really good point. One thing uh, to think about is that y y this is applicable to when we eventually talk about miking amp cabinets. But you can think of the vocalist's mouth as a speaker. And you can think of being on axis. Or in other words, the microphone, microphone pointed directly into the, at the mouth of the speaker will pick up more high end, more of that S's and T sound. Whereas if that's problematic, you can move the mic off axis, where let's say you move it up four inches and then point it down at the singer's mouth. You can reduce sibilance um, mm. using, that, using that technique as well. Yeah, and we have to mention too, 
one of the cheapest things that you can get that will make your vocal performance a lot better is a um, a pop filter. Did you know that was what I was going to say? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I knew it. And, and go, yeah, go for it. Preach on the pop filters for sure. Yeah. So some microphones have them built in inherently, like the SM7B we're both talking into. They actually come shipped with a uh, a pop filter that's the same shape as the microphone, so you might not actually realize it's there, but you can remove it. Um, but a lot of condensers don't have that, so you can just get on Amazon, and I have, I think, two $10 pop filters that I bought. And it's basically, it can be metal, but they're also cloth, just mesh. And I put that pretty much directly in front of the mic, maybe three to six inches away. Mm. And sometimes I'll use that as a gauge to like help the vocalist know like where to stand. Yes. The pop filters do a couple of things. Uh, one is they actually, we talked about S's and T's. The other problem you run into is what's called plosives, which is like the heavy B sounds or P sounds at the beginning of words where they kind of pop out, right? And so- mm-hmm. So the pop filter is called a pop filter because it'll it'll help minimize some of that. But you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, this is my second point on pop filters, was that it helps you fix the distance uh, because the singers tend to, some singers like to get, you know, as close to the mic as they can. Um, yeah. You may not want that. So having the pop filter set up and tell them, yeah, get as close to the pop filter as you want, it helps fix that distance. And the final thing I have is it also is kind of like, like you said, a lot of times condensers, you can you can see the diaphragm and they're really sensitive. So you don't want somebody slobbering or spitting all over your nice condenser mic. So pop filter is also a nice kind of hygienic uh, tool as well. Yes. I, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit whenever I, I start talking about software and adding vibe. But um, do you want to dive into that now? Uh, yeah, I do want to just say one more thing, which is an epiphany I had much later yes, than I should have. Um, <laughs> I wrote this down. I'll just read you what I wrote. The mic stand is the only thing standing between your nice microphone and a five foot drop to the floor, right? So for years and years, I was like, I'm not paying for a mic stand. It doesn't help improve my sound. You know, I was just buying cheap mic stands. And the truth is, like, that's what's holding up your your nice microphone investment. And also, cheap mic stands just break. I can't tell you how many you've gone, I've gone through. And so a nice mic stand, you might gasp at a price tag, but it, they last a long time. And again, you got to keep in mind that it's, uh, your microphone is, is usually one of, the, one of the bigger investments you have in the studio. So don't skimp on that. And when you set it up, a nice trick also is to, if you're extending the mic boom, to make sure it's uh, centered over one of the the legs on the mic stand. It helps prevent tipping. Yeah, really good point. Love that. Uh, So we had one other um, listener question this week, and this is a good segue into the last thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, This is from Josh Doran, and his question was, is vocal compression better used between the mic and the interface? Or is it better to just record the raw vocal take and do it in post? So what do you, th- what do you think, Vadim? That's a great question. Yeah, one, one thing to keep in mind there is, again, the compressor, a compressor would always work on line level. So uh, it would actually be the microphone, then the preamp, then the compressor. 
uh, in the chain you described, or you could just plug the microphone directly into the preamp and then the preamp directly effectively into your computer uh, through a converter and do the com- add the compression in post. So I actually wrote a bit of a long response on Facebook about this, but I'll give you my, my quick two cents is that the, the pros with recording with compression, the, the biggest one, I think, is that it minimizes the risk of clipping. So when we're playing, when we have a cranked guitar amp or we're playing acoustic guitar, usually it's easier to control the dynamics or like how loud the loudest parts are versus how quiet the quietest parts are. The human voice is extremely dynamic and it's easy to set up mic levels. Uh, this is one thing I see time and time again with vocalists is you set your mic le- your preamp levels and then... By the 10th take, they're much louder because they're more confident than they were on the first take. And you, what risks happening is they get too close to the mic or they get a little too loud and you have digital clipping at the converters, which is yeah. really nasty distortion that we definitely don't want. So one mm-hmm. compelling reason to record with compression is that compression will clamp down on those peaks, turn them down a little bit, and it minimizes the risk that you're going to clip. It also helps you get closer to a finished sound. So, um, if you're like if you're like me, I think I wrote this in the Facebook post as well, and you're kind of indecisive. I don't want to try out thirty different compressors in the mix. I may just want to compress going in and then get a sound I like and live with it. Um, so those are kind of the pros and the cons. I'll lay out, and then I'll. Um, I know you and I maybe have slightly differing opinions on this, so I'll let you go. Um, one of the cons is that Overcompressing cannot be undone. So if you went a little heavy-handed with the compressor and you get a really compressed sound, uh, that might not be appropriate for the genre you're working on, and you can't undo it, right? So you you risk mm-hmm. ruining a take, um, and it kind of may force you into a situation that you're um, you're not comfortable with. Um, so that's my I would say as far as recording with compression, the vocals make the most compelling case because they are so dynamic. What do you think? Yeah, so part part of my answer, I agree with everything you said, by the way, but um, part of the way that I work is a little bit just, you might call it limitations or my own set limitations where I don't have any analog gear. So I am essentially only recording um, raw vocal in, but I'll, almost all of the time I have a compressor on and I'm monitoring through the exact compressor settings that I'm probably going to use in the final recording and print with that. And the reason is, is because a lot of the times my, uh, what I choose as a microphone um, sound wise is also paired with the preamp that I, the virtual preamp that I choose and the virtual compressor that I choose because uh, the compressors I use are, most of the time, all the waves are the slate bundle, and they're all modeled after analog gear. So the way that they work is they uh, they imprint their own coloration that's modeled after those analog um, hardware units onto your clear vocal sound. So a lot of times, a vocal sound for me is the combination of the mic, the preamp, and the compressor all wow. working in tandem. Gotcha. So even though, and I'll have them on when we're recording, so that way when you're, when you're listening to yourself, 
uh, you're getting the dampened vocals. So, mm. and, and a lot of times this is this is good too because it helps the vocalist hear themselves a lot clearer mm. over top of the music, especially if they're recording to a, a really heavy uh, piece that has maybe really loud drums and a lot of instrumentation. Um, having that compression in there, especially if it's really heavy-handed, is just going to allow them to hear all their parts, especially if they have maybe a quieter uh, a quieter phrase in there, it won't get buried and lost, so they can still hear what they're doing. Um, so not only am I using that just for the monitoring purpose, but um, I fully intend to bake that into the cake and print it that way after... A lot of times, I don't change the settings at all after we're done um, with the tracking. So I guess just in practice, I try to record everything like it's going to be the final takes and I can't and I'm not going to be able to change it later because I think that forces me to get closer to a final product early. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for that. Uh, there's actually freedom and limitation a lot of times when you you make those decisions early on. Um, it can make for a, a smoother, more creative workflow because you're not just thinking about which buttons do I click on my mouse. You're thinking more creatively about you know how does the song feel. So I like that a lot. And uh, I'm just fortunate. I, I don't have any. I don't track through any analog. Well, well, okay. My my preamps happen to have built-in uh, compressors, so I hmm. do use those a lot of times for tracking. What I what I like to do is go pr- on the lighter side with my compression during tracking for vocal. So I'll aim. I'll usually set a fast attack time on the compressor so that it works pretty quickly, and I'll have it so that at the loudest parts, it's it's maybe getting two to three decibels of gain reduction. And again, I just really wanted catching those peaks. And then in the mix, I'll apply a more uh, heavy-handed compression. I do have an example here of a track I got that was recorded with a ton of compression. And it sounded mm. it sounded great. And I just put it into the mix and didn't have to do anything to it. Um, so I'm going to play that. So you can hear what a really... Con- this is really aggressive vocal. I'll play a little bit of this. Um, you could see, like I said, I I really I did some stuff to it in the mix, but nothing in the way of compression because it was already so smashed. Huh. Uh, but it sounds good, so let me play that here. Cool. This is it. Time's up. I put my foot through the wall. Falling. It's progress. Cutting the ground, running unless you fall. You, where you can really hear the compression working is on the breaths. So I'm going to play this one part again. You can hear how when he's taking a breath, if you're in the room, that breath is kind of a quieter part, right? But uh-huh. it's as loud on this track as the screaming, <laughs> right? So that's when you yeah. can tell how heavily it's compressed. Let me play that one part again. Falling! It's progress! Cutting the ground running unless you fall! Right. So that's and I'll I'll play a little bit of the final mix so you can hear how it sounds almost like too aggressive, but in the mix it really helps the vocals stand out above a really yeah. loud track. And 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 in this case oh, in this case what I'm saying is it's really heavy-handed compression going in, totally appropriate for the vocal style and for the genre. You know, it worked. So you can't argue with it. Here's the uh yeah. here's the final track. Cool. Right on. Um, what What about other effects, Ben? I guess I'm. I'm things like equalization. Um, 
is it are you using the same principle where you're trying to get as close to the final printed product as you can going in are you setting equalizers while while the singer is is singing i tend to only do that with equalizers um so the first eq that i'll put on put in and I guess I would consider this part of my recording chain because I have like a mixing chain that I'll do like after the fact, after recording's mm. all finished. But if there's like a real problem frequency or uh, let's say, I'm sure you've run into this and uh, we should mention it. It's probably a good idea for you as a vocalist, if you're listening to this, to try not to tap your foot to the beat as much as possible <laughs> when you're singing into a mic because that travels up through the microphone and it, and it gets captured. But sometimes I'll just let the vocalist do it if it's not too bad because it helps them get more into the vibe. Mm. The reason I bring that up is sometimes I'll put a high-pass filter to kind of try to get rid of some of that really low stuff. And maybe sometimes if they're singing a pattern that uh, they're hitting a specific note that just happens to have a ringing frequency in it, I might notch that out a little bit with a parametric EQ or... Maybe the room they're they recorded it in, or they're maybe let's just say the only place that they can record is their bedroom. Mm. They don't have any other options, so there's a little bit of nasty room boxiness, and I might just take uh, a parametric EQ and on the default setting, which is a quality or the Q of one, I'll just drop it right around 500 hertz and pull it down three decibels and that's probably the simplest eq move that you can make that normally works i mean it it works 75 percent of the time to remove at least a little bit of roomy boxy nasty sounding stuff that's a great point i find the same thing in that i would yeah say that 400 hertz to 600 hertz range a lot of that small room kind of cheap sound comes uh comes in that spot although you may want that if you're doing some kind of really filthy blues rock lo-fi stuff um that's kind of a, a good aesthetic to have so yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah kind of another rule of thumb for me too is that i try to get uh the sound source and this would be the vocal i try to get that sounding as good as possible without using any effects so if if I'm not getting the sound that I want out of the microphone, I would rather try changing out the microphone to a different microphone than try to mm. doctor it up after the fact. Yes. Yes. So even though, you know, I talked about, okay, yeah, you can maybe use get an EQ and, and match this type of microphone to that type of microphone, it always comes back to that pyramid of building a good sound. And the closer yeah. you can get what you want to the source the better off you'll be. So I, I agree with you. If you're, if you have the luxury of multiple microphones, what I would say is take the time to set them up, get a vocalist to just sing some stuff. And in your, in your head, you should be kind of classifying, oh, this microphone is really bright. This microphone is a little bit darker. And then when you hear uh, a voice or a source, you'll kind of start to know which microphone to reach for. And that's, um, it's it's a good way to to work to know your gear and to be able to uh to make those types of decisions on the fly. Yeah, knowing your gear is is definitely helpful for working quickly. The goal is essentially to to use as little tools as possible whenever you're you're recording. I feel like at least when you're capturing it's stuff. A nice goal. Yeah. 
like ideally you're just throwing a microphone on there and I guess the least amount of compression, the least amount of EQ, if you don't have to use any EQ, that's uh, best case scenario. Yeah, it's like food, right? <laughs> the less processing, yeah. the better. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I'm sorry it took us this long into the episode to mention this, but I think that was a really big trip up for me when I first started recording is that a lot of times I would just throw on an EQ and a compressor because I saw other people doing mm. it and I thought that's just what you did. And in reality, there's no magic to those tools. They're they're tools to an end. And so if you have to use them, you're allowed to use them. There's no there's no rules whether or not you can use no compressors or five compressors on a track. It's just very important, I think, to keep in mind what's the point behind me putting this on? Do I do I understand how it works? Do I really need this? And if you find yourself saying, well, I'm just putting this compressor on because I've seen other people do it, then ask yourself, do I really need that? You know? Right. Think about maybe your sound source. So Right. Just because you owe, you own a hammer doesn't mean you got to use it on every uh <laughs> yeah. every every home job you do, right? And and I think that that's a temp, that's a tempting thing for musicians and for people that have gear. So I w- especially if you spend money on something, right? You spend money on it, you're like, I got to be using this as much as I can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I fall into that. Yeah, I th- I think we all do. And you know, any of you out there that might be listening and just getting into recording, uh, I strongly want to recommend to you guys that uh, don't just use stuff because you see other people using it. I I mean, experiment around and see what you actually like and you know get get better tones at the source get get better at singing like the the old adage of you know you're only as good as uh your weakest points is is definitely true whenever it comes to recording i think this might be um i think this might be a good place to finish her up unless you had anything else vadim no nope, i think that's perfect well, I, ho- I hope you guys enjoyed this episode on deep dive of recording. We we went a little bit longer than we were shooting for. It's really hard to get uh, a very complex to- a g- a complex topic like deep diving into vocal recording in under an hour. So if uh, we didn't touch on something that you want to hear, please uh, reach out to us. You can you could find us both on Facebook. You can reach out to us personally or through our Facebook DIY recording guys community. It's a great community. And, you know, maybe we can do a follow-up episode to uh, deep diving into the vocals. Yeah, we definitely will have to. Because for one thing, I want to hear your, uh, I want to hear your virtual mic set up. And uh, what else did you say you were going to do? Oh yeah. With pop filter with, no, with the, um, the gobo. Yeah. Uh, and without it, with that little V-shaped uh, vocal booth and without it, I would really love to hear those uh, comparisons side by side. Well, I'll make a note. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll revisit this topic. I mean, that's probably going to be the theme, like for every topic that we cover. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, there's infinite number of part twos that we can, and threes and fours that we can dive into. Yeah, if you ever if you ever take a break from shredding, because uh, you've been doing a lot of shredding, I know. So, uh, <laughs> I'm doing so much shredding. Man. You got you got to do that though. It's, it's good, good for the soul. It's true. It is good. So, thank you guys once again for joining us on this episode. Um, Until next time, remember to check yourself before you wreck yourself. See you next time, guys. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. 
Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.